Welcome to Brit David Podcast, as Pastor Tim shares with us a message today entitled God's Favorite Song from Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. It is easy to imagine Jesus being the object and recipient of our worship, that when we sing, we sing to Him and we sing about Him. Yet, the Bible also says that Jesus Himself sings, that he sings in praise and worship right alongside his brethren. He lifts up his own voice and sings songs of worship to the one true living God. That gives me all the more reason to sing in praise. Here's Pastor Tim. Tonight, we are in the book of Zephaniah, as we finish our tour through the Bible in alphabetical order, so tonight you just have to turn to the one book that you hadn't turned to yet, if you're having a hard time finding it. Um, If it helps you, it's right between Habakkuk and Haggai, so I I probably should give you a minute, shouldn't I? Let me give you a minute to find that. During this um, holiday season, we all have our favorite Christmas carols, our favorite Um, Christmas songs that sometimes we'll sing in church or hear on the radio. Uh, In fact, that first song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, that's my favorite Christmas carol uh, that we sing. Um, There are other songs, obviously, in in your uh, hymn book or in our repertoire that we sing that... uh, that strike you more than some others and, and really become a part of your favorites. I want you to know tonight that God has a favorite song. It's not necessarily one that we sing. It's not in any hymn book that I know of. It's not, uh, it's not even, um, uh, even one of those that we sing by chorus. Uh, but it certainly is his favorite song. And if you're there in Zephaniah, I would encourage you to turn to the last chapter, which is chapter number 3, and skip down with me to verse number 16. That's where we're going to begin tonight. Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse number 16. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion, let not your hands be weak. The Lord your God in your midst, the Mighty One, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you in His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. So we begin to read through those verses. There are a number of things that I see there that I certainly want to to draw your attention to. And the first is that the singer of this song is Him. The singer of this song is Christ. It's God himself as we get to see in these particular verses. In fact, it might surprise you. We know that we sing a lot of songs about Jesus. We sing a lot of songs to Jesus. But did you know that there are four times in your Bible where Jesus is the singer? He is the one who's doing the singing. Let me give them to you very quickly. Uh, The first two really are parallel verses. In fact, they say exactly the same thing in those verses. One is found in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 30. The other is found in Mark chapter 14 and verse 26. The disciples have just finished the Last Supper, which has become the precursor to our Lord's Supper. And both Matthew and Mark both say, 
And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So this they is both Jesus and his disciples. When they finish supper, they sing together. They sing together and then go out to pray at that Mount of Olives. Let me give you a third one. Hebrews chapter number 2 and verse number 12. The writer of Hebrews is actually quoting from Psalm 22, which is one of the most incredible messianic psalms that you have. It's a, it's a psalm about the cross. It sounds as if the writer of that song is standing there at the cross and listening and, and watching and seeing all of the things that are going on when Jesus dies. But he says it beforehand. This is what he writes. In the midst of the congregation, I, he's speaking of Christ, in the midst of the congregation, I will sing praise to you. So even in the midst of not just the congregation, but in the midst of his own crucifixion comes these words, I will sing praise to the Lord. If, we can, if he can sing praise to God in that context, certainly we ought to be able to set aside circumstances that we have or situations that we find ourselves in in life and still be able to sing praises to the one who holds everything in the palm of his hands. Let me give you one more. Romans chapter 15 and verse number 9. Again, this time Paul is quoting uh, from Psalms, and this time it's Psalm 18 and verse number 49. And Paul attributes this to Jesus, and he says, For this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. So one time he's in the midst of the congregation, which we would assume are Jewish people or at least believers in him. And now he says, now I'm going to sing to you not in the midst of my chosen people, but I'm going to sing to you in the midst of all peoples, of even the Gentiles themselves, and I'm going to sing to your name. It's a great thing when you begin to think about Jesus singing. You know, we think about him going to the cross. We think about him teaching in parables. We think about him performing miracles. But sometimes the very simple things of life we don't think about. We don't think about him sitting around the fire with his disciples and just having a conversation. We don't think about him telling jokes and laughing. We don't think about him doing some of these kinds of things, even just singing. But when we come to Zephaniah, what we learn right here off the bat is the singer of the song is him. All right? We get this introduction, verse number 16, but notice verse number 17. The Lord your God. Who's the one who's doing the singing? It is the Lord your God. The word Lord is that covenant name of God. It's Yahweh, or some will pronounce it as Jehovah. It's that very special name that God's special people had for him. It's when Moses said to God, Whom shall I say is sending me? God said, You tell them I am. I am who I am. You tell them Yahweh is sending you. That name was so special to the people of God. They would not dare pronounce it. Instead, they would substitute the word Adonai. It's another word for Lord, but it's more like Sir. You know, it's when we see that 
uh, that Sarah called Abraham Lord. She called him Adonai. She called him her sir, her master, if you will. I keep getting Dina to try to call me that, but she just won't do it. But in this case, <laughs> it's the covenant name. The Lord, your God, He's yours. It tells me a number of things about the Lord in this verse. Number one, I see that He is a personal God. He's already given us His personal covenant name, Yahweh, but He is the Lord, your God. He's the Lord, your God. Elohim, the one who has created all things. The God of the, not just the universe, but the God of all of creation. This is that God. And it's not just that He is some God who sits on a throne way up in the sky somewhere that we never see and we never hear from. He is a personal God. He says He is the Lord, your God. It makes a difference, doesn't it? It makes a difference when you get to your funeral time. It ought to make a difference in your life every single day. He's not the man upstairs. He's, he's not some kind of Santa Claus who's there to grant me my every wish. He's the Lord my God. He became my God when I said yes to Jesus. He's a personal God. Number two, He is a present God. He says, the Lord your God in your midst. In your midst. Remember when uh, the prophet Isaiah said, this is the sign that I'm going to give to you. King Ahab would not dare ask God for a sign, even though God said, ask me. Ask me for a sign. Ask me for anything that you want. And Ahab said, no, I'm not asking you anything. And he said, well, then the Lord himself will give you a sign. You'll find this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, and his name will be called Emmanuel. What does that mean? It means God with us. It's the same thing that you have right here in this passage. The Lord your God in your midst. There's not one thing that you go through. There's not one thing that you do. There's not one conversation that you have. There's not one activity that you're involved in that God is not intimately involved with. He is in your midst. You never can run away from Him. And he promised that he would never leave you. So he's always there, isn't he? Sometimes when we pray, we'll say things like, Lord, we, we just want to come into your presence. I understand that, that you want to come closer. But the reality is, is that you're already in his presence. All the time, you're there. He's a personal God. He is a present God. Number three, He is a powerful God. A powerful God. Look at the very next line. He says, the Lord your God in your midst. And then He describes Him again. He says, the mighty one. The mighty one. The almighty, sometimes we call Him. We will use the term omnipotent to describe Him. In other words, there is nothing that God can't do. Remember Mary talking to the angel and saying, how can these things be? I, I, I have never known a man 
The angel told her, with God, all things are possible. There's nothing that is impossible for him. There's nothing that is outside the realm of his ability or his capability. You think that your circumstances overwhelm you. They don't overwhelm him. You think that the things that you go through are bigger than you are. That you don't have the answers for them. They're not bigger than him and he does have the answer. In fact, he generally is the answer. If I would get close to him. I would understand that He is the mighty God, the almighty God, the powerful God. In fact, look back one more time at verse number 16. At the very end of that, He addresses His people as Zion. You've heard that in the news a lot lately, haven't you? Hamas and those groups like to refer to Israel as Zion or Zionist, those kinds of things. It's It's those who are looking forward to His promise. But in the midst of looking forward to the promises of God, notice what God says to them. Zion, let not your hands be weak. Don't let your hands be weak. Does that mean that I have strength to face everything that I face? No, that's not what He's saying. He doesn't say, Zion, rely on your own strength. He says, Zion, don't let your hands be weak. So if I find myself up against a temptation or in a situation that is stronger than me, what do I do? My my right hand, so to speak, this, this arm of power is weak, too weak to face the situation or face the temptation. What do I do? Let him fight my battle. The Lord our God, he is our strength, right? He is our strength. He's not saying to rely upon yourself. He is the mighty one. He is the mighty God. He can help you through and in everything where you find yourself. This is this one who's singing. The personal God, the present God, the powerful God. Number four, He is the pardoning God. He is a pardoning God. The Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one, He will save. He will save. I don't know where we got the idea that people in the Old Testament are saved by keeping the law. And people in the New Testament are saved by grace. (laughs) That couldn't be further from the truth. There's not one person, number one, who's ever kept the law. Number two, there's no person who could ever be saved by keeping the law. When we say the law, most of the time we're thinking about the Ten Commandments. You think, well, well, if there's just ten, I should be able to handle ten things in my life. You don't handle any of those, do you? Especially when Jesus strips it away from just its physical activity and takes it all the way back to heart attitude. When Jesus says, you've heard it said of old, you shall not kill, but I'm telling you not to hate your brother. You've heard it said of old, do not commit adultery, but I'm telling you don't lust after a woman in your heart. 
Jesus takes it to the heart. And when he does that, it removes that, that, uh, that excuse that every one of us have. Every one of us falls short. But that was the point of the law in the first place. It was never given to Moses so that the people of Israel might be saved. It was given to Moses, Paul says in Galatians, so that it would be a tutor, that it would be a teacher. That would teach me that I have a need and that need is sin. And the only person I can go to is Christ. The law is supposed to drive me to Him. The only real difference between what you have in the Old Testament and what you have in the New Testament is we get to look back on an event that's already happened, the cross. And they had to look forward to it. In the same way that you must believe the promises of God, they had to believe the promises of God. Can he really pardon sin? Do you remember... You remember the man who had such great friends that when Jesus was in the house preaching and, and they knew that Jesus would be able to heal their friend but they couldn't make their way through the crowd so they tore open a hole in the roof and let this man down. Jesus told that man, your sins are forgiven you. Remember what the Pharisees said at that point? Who is this man? In our dialect today, they would have said something like, who does he think he is? No one can forgive sins except for God alone. (laughs) He is God. He has the ability to pardon, the ability to forgive. The ability, as we see in verse number 17, to save. Pastor Tim, thanks you for joining us here today on Brit David Podcast. And he invites you to join us tomorrow as he continues his message, God's Favorite Song. Pastor Tim would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is churchoffice at britdavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Brit David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Brit David Podcast.